Hey, y'all! Thanks for joining us here at the Diamond Horseshoe for Goofy's Country Dancing Jamboree! Do not pull down on the safety bar, please. I will lower it for you. And hey, everybody, make sure you keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside, and be sure to watch your kids. Or as Jeannie likes to say, Para su seguridad, permanezca sentado con el cinturón de seguridad ajustado y mantenga sus manos. Dorothy? I'm Dinah. I'm Max. Yeah, Debbie was sick, so uh, the union sent me. She's bold, she's brassy, she's self-contained all the way from Cleveland, Ohio. Please welcome the self-programming circumvisual photo droid. Let's say hello to 9i. Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog here, and welcome to WDW Radio 3D. Here in this modern high-tech facility, we have perfected WDW Radio 3D, a new podcasting process which we're about to demonstrate to you. Now working the recorder is an old friend of ours, the Swedish chef. Chef, everything okay? Hey, der hoppin' hoppin', der podcastin's goin' der ookie dookie flimmy flumi. And we've also got a big musical finale from Sam Eagle. Sam, what's it about? It's called a glorious tribute to all Disney podcasts, but mostly WDW Radio. Lou Mangello is, in my opinion, distinctly patriotic. Great! Now on with the show! Welcome back, and thanks for tuning in once again to the WDW Radio Show. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 18 for the week of June 10th, 2007. We'll start off, as always, with some news and views from Walt Disney World, where I talk about Fast Pass and Western Way. The Walt Disney World rumor mill is full of rumors from the Disney MGM Studios, which include Star Tours, Halloween, and more. Jonathan Dichter has another Voices Behind the Magic segment, and Jeff Pepper sent in a solo Disney scene investigation of some creepy old crypts. Mike Scope and I cover another best of the best Walt Disney World. Once again, it revolves around food, and this time, it's the best bang for your buck meal on property, and it might not be where you're thinking. One of Walt Disney World's hidden treasures can be found in Liberty Square, and has not only historical significance, but its own interesting history and story behind it. This week's email segment has questions about the Treehouse Villas, Pop Century's legendary years, medical care at Walt Disney World, leaving the kids at home while you play at Disney, a very special tree near Disney's Animal Kingdom, and more. I also introduce a new contest this week where you have to use your eyes instead of your ears. Be sure to stay to the end of the show for the outro and your voicemails, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. WDW Radio Show News and Views Report Live from the WDW Radio Studios in Scotch Plains, New Jersey This week's News and Views from Walt Disney World segment is going to start off with some more information about Western Way and the Four Seasons Resort as I have recently learned more about the relationship between Disney and both the resort as well as the retail property. It appears as though the Western Way project will not be operated by Disney. 
Instead, the land is being leased out to a new retail mall operator whose name has not been released as yet. Now, I'm not 100% sure if all the new retail space in Western Way is being leased by Disney, or for example, if part of that space will be owned and operated by Disney for another one of their retail outlets. A similar arrangement is being done with the Four Seasons Hotel, which is expected to open in 2010. The property there is being leased for a specific period of time to be owned and operated by the Four Seasons Company. However, at the end of the lease, it's expected that the property can either be turned over back to Disney or have the lease extended. So this is almost like a timeshare arrangement where the buildings are scheduled to be turned back over to Disney at a specific time in the future. Now, because the space will not be owned or operated by Disney over at the Western Way Project, it opens up the opportunity for vendors and retailers that were or are not able to come into places like downtown Disney due to pre-existing contracts that Disney has with other vendors to secure space in the Western Way Project once leasing becomes available. Now, what I have found out recently is that there have been no invitations to bid for lease space on the Western Wade Project expansion as yet, because I have spoken to somebody who has clients that are very interested in the new space, but they've been told by Disney that they are not taking any bids as yet. The structures of these arrangements are actually very interesting because they do afford Disney some major benefits of leasing their land uh, to, the, to, to both Western Way and the Four Seasons. For example, by having the hotel and retail structures built by other peoples and being turned over back to Disney later on, it's great because this is going to allow Disney to basically, for example, as far as the Four Seasons is concerned, learn from the best at what they do. You know, and the Four Seasons is un unarguably the very best at owning and operating a luxury resort. So they can learn from the Four Seasons during this time. If they so choose, say thank you, let them go and continue on at the helm running what will now become the flagship Disney Resort. Over at Western Way, the fact that uh, it is being leased to an outside company will allow partnerships with other corporations to open up that may have not been able to come into places like Downtown Disney. So for example, you may be able to see a competitor to someone like McDonald's coming over to Western Way, something that they could not have done anywhere else on Disney property. I've spoken over the past couple of weeks about the changes and updates to the FastPass tickets as well as the FastPass machines. I have received a number of emails and voicemails from listeners, including Jillian Hoffman, who wrote in and said that she was able to experience the new FastPasses at Epcot, including being able to have two FastPasses at the same time. There's also lots of talk about the new machines, what they can do, what they will do, and why. There's also a great piece over at MouseExtra.com that I'm going to link to in this week's show notes. There's a great discussion going on there uh, with discussions ranging from charging for a FastPass system, having a central FastPass pickup location at each park, FastPasses for resort guests, a hierarchical system, etc. So much right now, though, is speculation because Disney has not come out and said exactly what they're planning to do, how, how they are going to change the FastPass system. Again, there, there's been a lot of speculation out there about what very well may happen. Uh, as far as some of the things that were commented on in the article, I think the sig single fast pass pickup location would basically amount to just another long line to wait on uh, at the park and actually what would probably happen would be when the park opens your first order of business is no longer going to be making the you know dash to splash or race to space but the dash to the fast pass machines so you can start your day after you've had a chance to get your set of tickets uh, i don't think a pay system might necessarily be the answer either uh, although some or many might be willing to pay um, does Disney necessarily want to appear as though they are quote unquote you know nickel and diamond guests as they have been accused of in the past? You know, making everything be being an, a, an added on thing to your base ticket, whether it be a, you know a, a an after hours party, whether it be um, Pleasure Island, water parks. Now 
fast passes. That might um, irritate some people. The resort guest system may be a nice perk for those who are staying on property, although a hierarchical system, as it has been rumored, may have its own share of pitfalls as well. I tried to think of a few different options of how Disney could maybe utilize these new features to improve the FastPass system, uh, give people different options on how to make the most out of it. But, you know, what they're doing may very well just be ways for Disney to speed people along, to give Disney another way to, to better track how people are using the FastPass system, uh, you know, what guests are using it for what. And who knows, on the simplest level, this just may be a way for Disney to allow cast members or to force cast members to not allow guests to come after the expiration time. There may be a slight window, say for example if you were at dinner and you've missed your fast pass window, but you can't use a fast pass a day later, a week later, a month later, or some people do even a year later. And as far as making it a perk for people that stay on property, that's fine, but now are you penalizing people that stay off property and or do you have to charge people who stay off property in order for them to get the advantage of being able to use the fast pass system? Again, I thought at the top of my head, you know, so much of this is just so coming out of left field because we don't know what Disney uh, has plans to do. But, you know, the important thing is, you know, we can't make whatever they're going to do, or hopefully Disney is not going to make whatever they're going to do, too complicated. Because believe it or not, you know, I think we take for granted, those of us who, who are veterans who have been there a number of times, we take for granted the fast pass system and a lot of things and believe it or not fast pass is still very confusing to a lot of people and not a lot of people know about it or how it works or if it costs anything I, i've heard people ask that question i've gotten that question via email in the past as well so whatever they're going to do with this fast pass system it's got to be easy uh, you know for the first person for the first time visitor to walt disney world it, it could be a very intimidating thing to plan your vacation and make your ADRs and where you're going to go and the type of tickets to get. You don't want to overcomplicate things with at another level of fast passes. So I'm very curious as to what Disney is going to do. I'd like to hear your thoughts and opinions about what either you think they're going to do or what they should do to maybe improve the fast pass system whether it be for resort guests or just guests in general. I'll put a link up in the show notes page to the forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com where we'll start a topic and discuss this specifically. Finally, pass holders and a guest are invited to celebrate the 13th anniversary of the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror after the Disney MGM Studios Park closes on Friday, of course, the 13th of July from 10.30 p.m. to 12 a.m. You need to sign up before July 11th because space is limited. It is, like I said, restricted to pass holders and one guest per pass holder. Pass holders can register via the pass holder site. Again, I'll put a link to that up in the show notes. It has been a relatively quiet week as far as Walt Disney World news is concerned, but as always, if you have anything that you'd like to talk about, discuss, or report as news, by all means, let me know via email, voicemail, or post it in the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. In this week's visit to the Walt Disney World rumor mill, we have a lot to talk about over at the Disney MGM Studios. And coinciding with Star Wars weekends, which are going on right now, the Star Tours 2 rumor has been rekindled once again, not only because of Star Wars weekend, but because of a single post on a single website claiming that Anthony Daniels, who plays C-3PO, may have inadvertently, or maybe even intentionally, talked about an update to the Star Tours attraction. 
at a recent AdventureCon comic book convention. He supposedly stated that he had finished filming sequences for the film, which was going to be added later on this year, with the attraction closing for a good portion of 2008 as well. Allegedly, this sparked new rumors about Rex, your captain, be given his walking papers and that the new attraction would go into parks on both coasts. Now, again, this is something we've been hearing for some time and actually for a number of years, so I'm not sure how credible this is, but we will keep watch for more details. You know, with Harry Potter coming down I-4 over to Universal Studios, people seem to believe that Disney may almost be in panic mode to get something new and big out and fast. I don't think necessarily that Disney feels or works in that ma- in that matter, but uh, the rumor about the new Star Tours update has been going on for some time, so we will definitely keep our eyes out for more on this one. Staying over at the studios, cast members are reporting that the journey into Narnia is scheduled to close for a major rehab in early 2008 to update it to the upcoming film, Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian. The new walkthrough exhibit is tentatively scheduled to reopen in spring 2008. Now, as far as the studios themselves go, this seems to be the week of resurfacing rumors, as there's once again a great deal of talk about the renaming to possibly the Disney Pixar Studios, as well as an anticipated announcement of even more Pixar attractions and other changes coming to the theme park, one of which is a new Jack Skellington Halloween party and a replacement for the empty ABC Studios theater building, which I mentioned last week as getting a roof fix. Of course, Indy 4 talk is hot once again, especially with the upcoming Indiana Jones 4 movie coming out, but there have been no updates other than the occasional internet buzz. Now, there's also a new rumor of a Cars-themed attraction and a version of the Crush's coaster ride, which is opening in Paris later on this month. There's speculation that a second film uh, based on Cars will be opening in theaters in 2009, which is coincidentally right around the time they'd probably need to complete a new attraction based on existing technologies. Over at Epcot, I've been told that the queue at Soren has slowly started showing signs of the rumored update as the large pictures on the wall have been removed and the standby queue has been closed as well. If anybody has any recent photos of this, please do us a favor, send them over to Lou at WDWRadio.com and I can post them up in the show notes. An update over on Breathless, over at the Yacht and Beach Club Marina. It did arrive on property as I reported and it is currently in the backstage area behind the Magic Kingdom. It's given, being given to the ride and show department first. Uh, what I am hearing is that it may only seat seven, as opposed to the original Breathless, which could seat more, so you'd have six guests and one driver. The name on the boat again, this is just rumor, is going to be Breathless 2, much, much to the dismay of some cast members. Supposedly, Eyes and Ears, the cast member newspaper, is scheduled to do a photo shoot and article next Friday. It's unsure when the boat is going to be christened, but it is rumored that Disney does want Meg Crofton to be involved in the ceremony, so we'll keep you informed as to uh, when that may happen and when you can start actually booking for Breathless. And speaking of Breathless, a couple of weeks ago during our Trip Report segment, we mentioned as one of the first hidden treasures of Walt Disney World, our Illuminations cruise, and what an exceptional captain we had in Kerry. I said that I wrote a letter to Disney about her because I did think that she was that exceptional, and it's nice to know that Disney actually does read those and take note of them because I received a call and a voicemail from Disney earlier this week about the letter that I sent, and I do want to just go ahead and play that for you. Hello, Mr. Mongello. This is Andrea calling from the executive offices at Walt Disney World. I wanted to say thank you so much for the wonderful letter that you wrote to us about Carrie. We have made sure to share this with her immediate leadership team so that she will get the recognition that you have given her. And I thank you so much just for taking the time out of your day to share that feedback with us. We are so looking forward to seeing you again in the future, but until we do, please know our best wishes are with you, and have a wonderful day. 
I'll take another moment to climb up on my soapbox and remind you how important I believe cast members really are, how they truly are one of the seven wonders of Walt Disney World, how important it is for you if you do find a cast member that does something exceptional or makes your trip somewhat special, go ahead and let somebody know because it's not only important for the cast member to know, but it's important for that cast member's lead or supervisor know so that they can get the recognition that they deserve because they have done something to to really make your trip something special and something magical so take a second go to guest relations go ahead and write in or call in let somebody know and again you know i mentioned the cast members being one of the seven wonders of walt disney world there's still time for you to call in or write in and weigh in let us know about a specific cast member or experience you had that you think really typifies why they are one of the seven wonders of Walt Disney World, you can send it via email, via voicemail, or you can post it on the forums. So that's it for rumors this week. Again, I am working on a couple of others that I wanted to hold off until I get a little bit more information. But if you have any rumors that you'd like to share or discuss, send them to lou at wdwradio.com. You can call the voicemail anytime at 206 202 for WDW or post over in the WDW radio message forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. I have breaking updates to this week's Walt Disney World rumor mill. In fact, after posting the show and just about being ready to put it live, I received calls from two of my sources in Walt Disney World with new updates. First, speaking about Breathless, I understand that she is now in the water over at the Yacht and Beach Club Marina. She is known as Breathless 2 and appears to be slightly wider than Breathless 1, although she will seat less guests. One cast member was quoted as saying after the opening of the cover that, quote, this thing is all engine. I should have photos on the website by Monday or Tuesday, so be sure to check back in the WDWRadio.com show notes. I also have important news that's going to affect all guests, as Disney has been upgrading the computer system for many months, and the upgrade and conversion is now complete. What does that mean to you? Well, a lot, actually, as it's going to allow Disney to change the way they book reservations. As of June 23rd, Disney will be enforcing date-specific rates for all rooms in 2008. This move, which brings Disney pretty much in compliance with what the now industry standard is, means a few things to you moving forward. One, Disney has already determined what the rates are going to be for all rooms and seasons throughout the 2008 year. Second, guests will no longer be able to take advantage of the previously available benefit in the existing system. For example, if you were to book a room now and your first night was during value season, but the rest of your stay was during peak season, your room rate would be made at the value season rate for the duration of your stay. So, for example, if the first night of your stay was December 19th, 2007, which is the last night of value season, but continued into the holiday season, which started the next day, your entire stay would be at the value season rate. Now, your first night would be at one rate, and the next night would be at the holiday rate. Also, much like the DVC, where weekend nights are more points than weekday nights, the same is going to hold true for all Walt Disney World guest rooms. For example, right now, a room at Wilderness Lodge from July 1st through the 11th has the same rate for each night, which would be $265 for a courtyard view room. 
Now, under the new system, you're going to pay a higher price for weekend nights, much to the dismay of all guests, especially Florida residents, I think, who often come in for weekend visits. Now, Disney has not formally announced this as yet, but look for it to be announced on or about June 23rd when this new pricing will take effect for all of 2008. Over at the Contemporary, a temporary quick-service restaurant location called the Tempo Grab and Go is going to open near the Outer Rim Rim Lounge on the fourth floor on July 30th of this year. That's going to operate through August 14th, 2008. The Food and Fun Center is going to be closed during this time frame as that space is being converted into a new table service restaurant called The Wave. That's going to open in late March or April 2008. At that time, the Court Concourse Steakhouse is going to close to make way for a new permanent quick service restaurant, which is going to open in mid-August 2008. Now, this is notable for a number of reasons. First, the change to the 24-hour quick service restaurant location is directly related to the construction of the new building where the old North Wing once sat. This building is going to be connected via a breezeway, which, you guessed it, is going to take guests directly into the Grand Canyon Concourse on the fourth floor. Now, speaking of this new building, the rumors of it being DVC versus normal guest rooms and suites continues to go on, even to Disney's own cast members. As I showed on on the podcast earlier, documents and plans filed by Disney made reference to a new DVC resort in papers filed in August 2006. However, documents filed in November 2006 referred to the building as the Contemporary Suites. This has sparked much debate controversy and anticipation of what Disney is really planning to do. In fact, I and I'm sure many of you have heard from a number of different sources that they swear each has heard conflicting stories that they swear to be fact and true. Well, let me add just another wrench into the mix. My source tells me today that while Disney will not even confirm to cast members internally, the new building will be a DVC resort. In fact, I've been told that a contemporary DVC mock-up has been or is being installed at the Preview Center over at the Saratoga Springs Resort. He expects that on or about October 1st of this year, the formal announcement is going to be made. However, it should also be noted that Disney is definitely trying to keep the resort's designation under very tight wraps, as a conflicting sign at the construction site along the service road near the back of Space Mountain Reed's Contemporary Suites construction site. Also, with regard to the October 1st announcement date, another source has told me, again, just as rumor, that on or about the same time, Disney will announce that they will start work on completion of the legendary years at Pop Century. It appears as though the post-9-11 slump has pretty much righted itself, and there is much more demand for value rooms than ever. In fact, Disney has actually been giving some people who book value rooms a PIN code, which will allow them to upgrade to rooms at places like Saratoga Springs, which, of course, is not a bad way to introduce them to the DVC as well, right? Anyway, uh, again, these are rumors. I just heard these today. As I get more information, I will, of course, speak about it more on the podcast. I am reporting these as rumors until I get more details, but I did want to get this out to you as soon as possible. If you have any questions or comments... By all means, send me an email to lou at wdwradio.com, call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW, or discuss this in the forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. We come seeking adventure in salty old pirates, eh? Amigos, amigos down there, it is me up here. Rainfighter, I'm just right. Uh Welcome to the voices behind the magic. 
Hello, and welcome back to the Voices Behind the Magic. This week on Voices Behind the Magic, we begin a series of profiles of popular television stars you wouldn't think have anything to do with Disney voices. We start with one of recent history's most prolific voice artists, David Ogden Steers, more commonly known as Mayor Charles Emerson Winchester III on M.A.S.H. Born in Peoria, Illinois, David Ogden Steers has been a prolific character actor. However, beginning in 1991, he has been a staple of Disney voice work. His most memorable Disney voice, perhaps, is that of the lovable Cogsworth. In the 1991 picture, Beauty and the Beast. My goodness, look at the time. Now it's off to bed, off to bed. Cogsworth, always ready with good advice. Well, there's the usual things, flowers, chocolates, promises you don't intend to keep. He reprised the role of Cogsworth in Belle's Enchanted Christmas, as well as both of the Kingdom Hearts video games. Just a few years later, Disney called on David Ogden Steers again for Governor Ratcliffe, as well as his lackey Wiggins in the Disney animated feature Pocahontas. The gold of Cortez, the jewels of Pizarro, will seem like mere trinkets by this time tomorrow. Perhaps you'll also recognize David Ogden Steers' voice as that of the Archdeacon in the 1996 feature, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. See there the innocent blood you have spilled on the steps of Notre Dame. I am guiltless, she ran, I pursue. Oh, you would add this child's blood to your guilt on the steps of Notre Dame. My conscience is clear. You can lie to yourself and your minions. You can claim that you haven't a qualm. But you never can run from your hide what you've done from the eyes. The very eyes of Goldberg. He also portrayed Dr. Jumba Jakuba in 2002's Lilo and Stitch and pretty much every other Stitch feature that's occurred. In addition to his voice acting, David Ogden Steers has often been seen on a variety of television programs, including The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Star Trek The Next Generation, ALF, and then a guest spot on Frasier. But to Disney fans, who in 1991 saw a movie we all have come to adore nominated for Best Picture, David Ogden Steers, Cogsworth, Governor Radcliffe, and all his other voices will always be some of the voices behind the magic. As you all know by now, one of the things I love most about Walt Disney World is the amazing selection of food and places that you can eat. Some of the best meals I've had anywhere, not just at Walt Disney World, have taken place on property. Uh, So we wanted to do a little something this week for the uh, best of the best segment, and we brought back our good friend Mike Scopa from Mouse Planet and WDW Today. Mike, how are you, buddy? How you doing, Lou? Great to be here. 
Good, Mike. We want you to help us out and tell us what is the best bang for the buck as far as meals are concerned. So for a sit-down meal, not a counter service, for a sit-down meal, what is the best value, the best bang for the buck that you can get on property for a sit-down meal? Well, the problem with with telling you this on your show, Lou, with all the millions that are going to be listening, <laughs> is that it's going to be crowded after after we tell these these listeners. But but I can tell you that there is no doubt in my mind that the best bang buck regarding a sit down meal at the Trails End restaurant at Fort Wilderness. It's uh, right next to uh, Pioneer Hall, where Hoop De Doo is is held, and it's just a very very a uh, very nice, quiet place to eat, and the, the quality of the food has improved over the years. Um, you can have lunch there for, especially if you have the Disney Dining Experience card, which you can get if you're an annual pass holder. Uh, you can get a nice lunch there for $11. It's all you can eat, and they have anything from fried chicken to salmon to uh, roast beef. They have salads. They have great desserts. They have fruit. They have chili. They have soup. Uh, it's a very, very good meal uh, for for dinner as well. I think uh, uh, dinner is probably somewhere in the area of eighteen dollars uh, for uh, for an adult. Um, it's just a, it's a it's a buffet, but it's but it's very good quality food. And and I believe I ate there about eight or nine times last year. It was wow. just uh, and and uh, I would also like to say that it's my uh, it's my favorite place to eat after a race. So. <laughs> So that's the that's that gives you the best value for your uh, dining dollar at your, it's the best value for your Disney dining dollar without a without a doubt. And it definitely is one of those places that you'd probably never think of because it is kind of off the beaten path a little bit. You know, unless you're staying at Fort Wilderness or going to see the Hoop to Do, not a lot of people will make their way over there. Exactly, and the best way to, the best way to try it, Lou, I would suggest is that you go to the Magic Kingdom for the morning. Uh, and after you've uh, you've enjoyed your your morning at the Magic Kingdom, you leave and you take a launch from the front of the Magic Kingdom all the way over to what used to be River Country. They let you off at the dock at Fort Wilderness, and it's a five-minute walk to uh, to Pioneer Hall, and you can enjoy a very uh, very quiet lunch, and then you know take a uh, take a few minutes after lunch, check out the general store, then take a nice boat ride back to uh, the Magic Kingdom. And it's it's a it's a great little. Uh, time to relax uh you know after you've had a uh, very busy morning at the magic kingdom and that's a perfect plan for a number of reasons number one you get a, a really beautiful boat ride uh, you know across uh, the seven seas lagoon and bay lake number two it's it's a nice diversion and number three you kind of solve that problem of actually having to get there if you were staying for example at a resort and would have to take a bus and then you know get you know you make your way through uh fort wilderness to get there so um that that exactly. works all around that works all around. Exactly. Yep. So there you go. The best bang for your buck and the best value you can get for a sit-down meal at Walt Disney World, according to Mike Scopa, is at the Trails End Buffet at the Fort Wilderness Resort and Campground for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mike's, thank you so much for sharing your secret with us. I'm sure we will see you uh, on the buffet line. <laughs> <laughs> this is our secret, Lou. Thanks for me. Bye-bye. Bye.
This week's hidden treasure of Walt Disney World is a personal favorite of mine and one that was inspired by an email I received that said, Someone told me that we were in Walt Disney World last year that the tree near the haunted mansion with all the lanterns on it was not real and was made of fiberglass like the Swiss family tree. Now that I think about it, it just doesn't look like it's from Central Florida. The tree that she was speaking of is the Liberty Tree, and that's been a symbol of American freedom of speech and assembly and a living tribute to Boston's original Liberty Tree. In the mid-1700s, early patriots in every town and village designated a single tree as the town's Liberty Tree. When British troops recognized this symbolism, they cut them down in order to defeat people's morale. In 1765, the Sons of Liberty gathered beneath Boston's historic tree to protest the imposition of the Stamp Act, and that was a tax that required colonists to pay a tax on every piece of printed paper they used, from documents, newspapers, and even playing cards. The Liberty Tree in Liberty Square in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom was named after a tree in the 1957 film Johnny Tremaine. In fact, Johnny Tremaine's silver shop was once located in Liberty Square next to the perfumery. Now, as far as the tree itself goes, while many guests believe that the tree is actually a replica created by Disney, much like the Swiss Family Treehouse, it's actually a real live southern oak, known as a Quercus virginiana. This is more than 130 years old, and it was found about six miles away from where it stands today in Liberty Square. It's about 40 feet tall, 60 feet wide, weighs more than 38 tons, making it the largest living thing in the entire Magic Kingdom, and likely one of the largest trees ever transplanted. In fact, the transplant of the tree itself is actually notable. The root ball of the tree had a diameter of more than four feet. Now, while most trees normally get lifted out of place by wrapping a cable around it, because of the tree's massive size and weight, they couldn't basically lift it up with a cable and transplant it because it would have caused a lot of damage to the bark and the, the layers under the bark called the cambium. So what Disney did was they drilled holes into the tree and inserted steel rods or dowels through the center of the trunk to allow the tree to get lifted out of place. These rods became the grips for lifting the tree using a 100-ton crane. When the tree was put in place, the rods were removed and replaced with the original wood plugs. However, the wood plugs were contaminated and the tree became infected and began to rot. So in an effort to save the tree, the plugs and diseased areas were removed and the holes were filled with cement. Additionally, another southern live oak was grafted onto the base of the tree and continues to grow today. Now, if you look carefully at the tree, you'll see that it sports 13 unique lanterns on its branches. And there's one for each of the original 13 colonies. And if you notice, like I said, each of the lanterns is unique. And this is because originally the lanterns were brought over by people from their homes. So the chances of, of having all the lanterns match was probably nil. And that's why you'll see that each of the lanterns is slightly different somewhat. If you look closely at the base of the tree on the walkway coming from the hub, you'll see the tree's plaque, which reads, Under the boughs of the original Liberty Tree in Boston in 1765, patriots, calling themselves the Son of Liberty, gathered to protest the imposition of the Stamp Act. In the years that followed, almost every American town had a liberty tree, a living symbol of the American freedom of speech and assembly. Our liberty tree is a southern live oak, Quercus virginiana, more than 100 years old. Again, I think it's a great little hidden treasure of Walt Disney World. While you're looking at the Liberty Tree, make sure you head on over to the Court of Flags where you can see the 13 flags uh, for the original colonies. You can also find a replica of the Liberty Bell and a very interesting plaque that explains the story behind that. Uh, nice little section of Walt Disney World. Again, I think it's one of its hidden treasures. If you have something that you think is a hidden treasure, whether it be an overlooked attraction, little detail, or something else that you think is just a lot of fun or free, please feel free to send it in to lou at wdwradio.com.
Hello there, WDW Radio listeners. Uh, this is Jeff Pepper, and I'm whistling past the graveyard as I endeavor to bring you our next DSI Disney Scene Investigation. It's a dark and scary night here at Liberty Square in the Magic Kingdom, but we DSI investigators are made of some pretty sturdy stuff, and nothing can deter us from our appointed assignments. Ooh, well, at least we thought so up to now. Whoa. It's kind of chilly here for Florida. What's going on? Anyway, the scene we are investigating tonight is a small cemetery that is adjacent to the entrance to uh, one of Disney World's classic and perennial attractions, the, the Haunted Mansion. Uh, I see that the area has been secured with the yellow do not cross queue line tape, so we now have clearance to go ahead and begin our investigation. Now, this small family plot is positioned just to the left of the Haunted Mansion queue line. And appropriately enough, it consists of 13 tombstones. Each tombstone is engraved with a clever epitaph that pays homage to an Imagineer who in some way contributed to the development, design, or construction of the Haunted Mansion. Now, the most prominent of these headstones sits just to the left of the main entrance to the Haunted Mansion, and it also represents the plot's most recent addition. It features the sculpted face of a woman and... Wait a minute. I... She just opened her eyes and closed them. Did anyone else see that? She she opened her eye. Never mind. Never mind. I'm sorry. Anyway, the inscription reads, Dear sweet Leota, beloved by all, in regions beyond now, having a ball. Of course, this is referring to Madame Leota, the mansion's resident medium who appears in the attraction seance room. Leota Toombs was an artist at Wed Enterprises, which... W.E.D. stands for Walter Elias Disney. It was the uh, precursor to the Imagineering division. Uh, Miss Toome served as a stand-in model for the head in the crystal ball during concept testing of the mansion. She did such an excellent job that the test performance was used in the final version, and the character was named Madame Leota in her honor. Now, our next tombstone bears the following epitaph. Here lies good old Fred. A great big rock fell on his head. Now this refers to Fred Jorger. He was a model builder for both theme parks and motion pictures. And he, along with Harriet Burns and Walter Rogers, comprised the original model shop when Walt Disney began developing Disneyland. Fred was particularly adept at sculpting rock, and his epitaph kind of plays humorous uh, testament to that skill. The next headstone has the following verse on it. R.I.P. Mr. Sewell, the victim of a dirty duel. This is Bob Sewell. Uh, Sewell joined Disney's team shortly after Disneyland opened, and he was the head of the WED model shop, and he supervised the planning of many classic Disneyland attractions in the 50s, and many times he was in charge of show installations at the park. He was involved in the development of attractions that you might remember as uh, Nature's Wonderland, the Grand Canyon Diorama, the Submarine Voyage, uh, Swiss Family Treehouse, and the Enchanted Tiki Room. Now next is At Peaceful Rest, lies brother Claude, planted here beneath this sod. Now Claude is Claude Coates. He joined the Disney studio as a background painter in June of 35, and his background paintings can be seen in just about every feature they did, from Snow White through Lady and the Tramp. In the 50s, he became a show designer for Disneyland, working on numerous attractions, and he later uh, helped conceptualize the Mickey Mouse Review at Disney World and numerous attractions for Epcot Center including World of Motion, Horizons, and a few of the uh, World Showcase pavilions. Now, over here... Hey, hey, excuse me. Hey, this is a Disney scene. 
you're gonna have to step back behind the, the yellow tape there yeah a little further behind the tape yeah thank you Jonathan hey Jonathan we're getting some stray apparitions contaminating the scene can you, can you yeah great thanks thanks appreciate it sorry about that now the next headstone reads here lies a man named Martin the lights went out on this old Spartan now this is Bill Martin uh, known also by his nickname of Bud he was recruited by Walt Disney while working at 20th Century Fox to help in the building Disneyland. His first major area of responsibility was an art director of Fantasyland. And in 71, he was named vice president of design at Wed Enterprises, overseeing the master layout of the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. Uh, his, some of his projects were Main Street USA, Cinderella Castle, and he's one of the guys that actually was behind the utilidors that run beneath the Magic Kingdom there. Now next, we have this verse, which is, In memory of our patriarch, dear departed Grandpa Mark. This is Mark Davis, who is famously known as one of Disney's legendary night old men. He earned his reputation as one of the studio's more, most talented and renowned animators uh, before joining WED and developing such landmark attractions as Pirates of the Caribbean and The Haunted Mansion through his very lively and very detailed conceptual artwork. Now we have... Master Gracie laid to rest, no mourning please at his request. Now this is a bit interesting because uh, many Haunted Mansion aficionados consider Master Gracie to be part of an actual storyline developed for the attraction, but this tombstone in fact just simply refers to Imagineer Yale Gracie. In 1939 he joined the studios as a layout artist working on uh, Pinocchio, and in 61 he became a special effects and lighting artist at, at WED. He works as, as a research and development designer, uh, creating numerous illusions in the Haunted Mansion, and he was the guy that created the flame effects in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Now we have, rest in peace Cousin Hewitt, we all know you didn't do it. And that refers to Cliff Hewitt, and we're not sure what the crime was, but uh, he was an architect for Wet Enterprises, and he was one of the lead interior designers for the Haunted Mansion. Now next we have, here lies Wathel R. Bender. He rode to glory on a fender. The R there stands for Rogers, as in Wathel Rogers. Uh, we mentioned him previously as one of the original members of Disneyland's model shop. He joined the studios in 1939, where he worked on uh, Pinocchio and Bambi. And He was an expert sculptor and model builder, and he created props and miniatures for live-action films like Darby O'Gill and the Little People and The Absent-Minded Professor, as well as shows including The Mickey Mouse Club and Zorro. But what Rogers is especially notable for is his research and construction of a nine-inch tall figure of a moving, talking man. Project Little Man became the prototype of audio-animatronics technology, and Rogers became known as Mr. Audio-Animatronics. Now next we have, in memoriam, Uncle Mile, here you lie for quite a while. And that's Chuck Mile. He was an art director. He did design work on It's a Small World and The Haunted Mansion and he was one of the master planners of Walt Disney World. Now, coming over here next, uh, we have one reading, Good Friend Gordon, Now You've Crossed the River Jordan. This is Gordon Williams, and he's best known as an audio designer and an audio animatronics authority. And he was responsible for the majority of the sound effects that you hear in the Haunted Mansion. Now, next is Dear Departed Brother Dave, He Chased a Bear Into a Cave. This is Dave Burkhart. 
His career began with Disney in 1967. He served as an artist model maker, building architectural and show models, including some full-scale sets and props. He then became a show designer and field art director and was involved with attractions such as Haunted Mansion, Swiss Family Treehouse, and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Now, our final tombstone is one that says, Requisat Francis Xavier, no time off for good behavior. This is ex Atencio. Ex meaning Xavier. He joined the studios in 1938 and worked on numerous animated projects through the mid-50s. He was the person behind the clever animated title sequences in Parent Trap and Babes in Toyland. And in 65, Disney asked Atencio to relocate to Wed Enterprises and assist in the creation of the primeval world diorama for Disneyland. He went on to help develop dialogue and music for such attractions as Adventure Through Inner Space, Pirates of the Caribbean, and The Haunted Mansion, for which he co-wrote the song Grim Grinning Ghosts. But, most important to our investigation here, he was the one who wrote nearly all the clever verses featured on the tombstones in this family plot that we've been talking about. So, that completes our investig- what? Wait, what? What? Hold on, hold on a minute, folks. It's, it seems our team has discovered something. What do you- what? What do you got? Really? Okay, it appears we have found another tombstone that we were previously unaware of. It, it's fallen over into some bushes, and uh, uh, come on, guys, get, can you guys flip it over? What's it's it's laying flat? Yeah, okay, got. Brush off the dirt. Let's see what it, what it reads. Okay, it says, "Cousin Lou, stabbed by a knife, he led a very trivial life." Wow. Oh, not quite sure what to make of that. Uh, looks like it's been buried there for a while. Well, we're, looks like we're going to have to keep this case file open a little longer and see if we can figure this one out. Um, in the meantime, uh, we'll have Dispatch return you back to our regular broadcast, but uh, stay tuned for future episodes of DSI here on the WDW radio show. It, does anybody know what this Lou? What the heck is this Lou? Who's this Lou guy? This week, I'm going to introduce a new type of contest, whereas instead of a Where in the World Have You Heard This contest, we're going to do a Where in the World Have You Seen This. This one's very simple, and it's going to see how well you know Walt Disney World. I'm going to post three images in the WDW Radio Forum on DisneyWorldTrivia.com. All you need to do is identify where those photos were taken in as much detail as possible and email your answers to me at Lou at WDWRadio.com. Answers will be due by 11.59 p.m. Sunday, June 24th. I'll randomly draw a winner from the pool of correct responses, and the winner will receive a choice of either both Walt Disney World trivia books or a prize package courtesy of the Magic for Less Travel, which includes a very cool sling backpack, neck wallet, bottle holder, leather, Disney Parks luggage tag, and more. Remember that these photos can be from anywhere around the Walt Disney World Resort, so keep your mind open when looking at the pictures. Most of all, go ahead and just have some fun with it. Remember, your answers are due by next Sunday, June 24th at 11.59 p.m., Good luck. This week's email section starts off with two questions about an extinct Disney resort. The first one comes from Kevin and says, I'm at downtown Disney on a Disney bus, and we just passed the old Key West resort entrance. What are those cool looking log cabins, stilt houses, looking off in the woods by old Key West? I thought I knew all the resorts like the back of my hand, 
but I can't place those. I also got another question from Bob Wall, who said, Last when we were visiting and riding the Disney bus back to our room at Saratoga Springs, I noticed that the treehouse buildings are still standing in the woods between Old Key West and Saratoga Springs Resort. Have you heard any plans for these units? It seems odd that they were not demolished if they wouldn't be used in the future. I always love the rustic look of these, the two-story layout, and the fact that they were separated from each other. So obviously, both of these guys are talking about the old treehouse villas. And if you're not familiar with these, I'll give you a little bit of a history and kind of tell you where they are now and what we might expect for them in the future. Back in January of 72, the Disney Village Resorts opened near the Lake Buena Vista Village, which later became the Walt Disney World Village and later became Downtown Disney. Uh, back in 1985, it became known as the Village Resort, and believe it or not, it was planned to be part of a residential community. Uh, that's right. At one time, there were plans to have permanent residences that you could buy on Walt Disney World property. That's right. You actually could have lived in Walt Disney World, as great as it sounds, though. It never happened. Now, this resort and these Disney Village Resorts were comprised of a couple of different styles of buildings. These were the Club Lake Villas. Those opened in the 1980s and later became known as the Club Suites in 1989. And these later became known as the Club Bungalows in 1996. Now, there are also the Vacation Villas, which are later known as the Townhouses, the Treehouse Villas, we're talking about now, the Fairway Villas, which were built in 1975, and four Grand Vista Homes. Now, back in early February of 1996, the villas became part of the Disney Institute, which has obviously now been torn down for the most part to make ways for the first phase of Saratoga Springs Resort, which is a DVC resort property. The treehouse villas still stand, and for many, many years, they actually stood empty. Um, and I'll kind of put a, a Google map on the show notes page so you can take a look and see exactly where these are. Uh, there were a couple of things, though, that happened to these, to these villas, uh, one of which was after a number of hurricanes through the years, um, the villas really took took the, the tree houses really took a beating, and they they look abandoned. They looked very very run down. Disney actually put them on timers to make it look as though people were actually staying there, although they were left abandoned. Now today, guests still cannot rent out the treehouse villas, although they are used for some cast members. Some of the international uh, exchange program cast members. Do stay there. You, if you do drive by, you can see that there is now a guard shack there, and they actually do look as though that they are lived in. This was done for a couple of reasons. One, Disney didn't like the, the kind of bad show that it was if you drove by or went by along the Tascagoula River and sound, found all these damaged buildings and, that looked abandoned. It just didn't look good. Plus, two, they now had a place that they could house some of these other cast members. So again, I'm going to try and put some pictures up in the show notes because these really were very unique buildings. I stayed there a couple times with my parents. They were uh, two bedroom. They were octagonal villas. They were on top of 10 foot high pedestals. And this was done for a couple of reasons. They were in a very uh, wooded kind of marshy area. So it would withstand any kind of flooding, allow for drainage, things like that. But a very, very unique property and unfortunately no longer available for rent. Our next email is from Peter Stahl in Toronto, Canada, who says, I'm fairly new to your podcasts, and I'm working through them backwards. I think I'm at episode five right now, and during that show, you talked about the Pop Century Legendary Year section and how it's been essentially abandoned. That prompted me to look up pictures on the net, and I was shocked at what had been completed. It amazes me that Disney would go so far into construction only to stop. I'm a huge fan of abandoned buildings. Oddly enough, so am I, believe it or not. But this somehow seemed sad. Do you have any more information as to what happened on this project? This might even make an interesting segment on your podcast. Well, 
Peter, thank you for the question. And I was serious. I, I am sometimes fascinated by these buildings. And in fact, during one of my last trips, I did actually drive over to the Legendary Years building, try to get as close as I could to take as many photos as I could. And you're right. It is sad, especially on Disney property, to see that building in such a sad state. Uh, as far as future plans for it, I do expect it to eventually be, be completed. There are rumors uh, swirling that they may turn these into family suites, maybe uh, with completion by the time maybe Western Way is, is done, maybe 2010-ish or so. But, um, you know, again, to have this this property sitting there, again, in, as bad show, just in that way, even though it is not in the normal path of guests, um, is really, really a shame. Our next email reads, Lou, so here's the deal. In a nutshell, I'm a guy. I'm a guy's guy. In other words, I love the Yankees, love drinking beer, poker, sports, the Sopranos, playing softball, and otherwise just being a guy. Herein lies my problem. I'm also a self-proclaimed, although quietly, Disney geek. And aside from my wife, no one else is really aware of my fascinations with all things Walt Disney World and my absolute love and enjoyment of everything it represents. When I say Disney geek, I really feel this needs to be needs no explanation, as I'm sure that if anyone listens to the podcast, they will understand. To fulfill my needs, I look for outlets, your podcasts, and a couple of others, websites, travel channel shows, and vacation planning DVDs. Wow, when I put it on the screen, it kind of scares me. It's funny, when I'm at work, I work in the, with the public in retail, I find myself trying to uncover where people are going on vacation, so in the chance they're traveling to Walt Disney World, I can impart some of my quote-unquote useless knowledge on them myself. It's amazing how excited I get when I can ask someone where they're staying on property and then tell them how lucky they are to be staying at Yacht and Beach Club, where they can walk to Epcot and MGM and make sure you hit Beaches and Cream, or make sure they take advantage of the extra magic hours in the Magic Kingdom, tell them what days the crowds will be lightest in each park, etc. It's funny, when I'm having a conversation with a buddy and they mention that they're taking their family to Walt Disney World because their kids are quote-unquote bugging them to, or because their wife is making them take the family, and they say it with such disdain and disgust, I just want to scream. I find myself not defending the resort, but kind of just gritting my teeth, agreeing and moving out of, moving on out of fear of being ridiculed and shamed in my circle of friends. This is my plight, and I live it every day. I'm wondering if there are any other guys out there who are dealing with the same thing. It would be interesting to hear, maybe we can form a support group or something. Obviously, I'm saying this with a certain amount of sarcasm, but it's not really that far off. Therefore, I want to thank you for your efforts with the show and the opportunity for me to lose myself for a couple hours a week while listening. Your piece with Matt Hotchberg on MGM Studios was great. I really enjoyed it. You guys did a great job evoking some of that dis- distinct feel you get when walking down Hollywood Boulevard and Sunset. Keep up the great work. And that's from Adam from Connecticut. He has Epcot Nut on the boards. Adam, thank you for the email. And uh, I-, I see where you're coming from, and-, and I feel your pain, because I think all of us sometimes may have gotten that look from people who, we- who as they say, don't get it. And they say, you know... You're going to Disney again or, or, you know, there are other places to vacation other than just Disney World where they're talking about. I really have no idea. But um, if other people just don't get it, well, so be it. But don't fear because you are not alone. In fact, there are ten, hundreds of thousands, millions of people out there who share the same love and the same passion for Disney that you do. I am obviously one of them. There's plenty of communities online. Of course, I'm going to point you over to the community over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. We've got 20,000 plus people who feel exactly the same way you do. There's nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed or feel ridiculed about to just want to go and talk about and enjoy something that uh, all of us enjoy so much. So head on over to the forums and, um, and that is your, your free support group. 
Next email reads, Hi, Luke. Courtney from Sepulpa, Oklahoma here. Before I ask my question, let me just say I love the new show. I listen to it every week and it makes my day. Walt Disney World means so much to me and my family and being in college. See, see, uh, Adam, see what I'm talking about? And being in college, I don't get to see my family very much, but hearing your show brings back such great memories of Walt Disney World and amazing memories with my family. So thank you. Now onto the question. In show number 13, you mentioned that the Tusker House restaurant at Disney's Animal Kingdom is being closed for a long refurb and that it'll be a table service restaurant when it reopens. I remember from your show that you mentioned a new dinosaur-themed restaurant and y'all posted some pictures of the concept art or the actual designs. Do you think the dinosaur-themed restaurant will take over the Tusker House? Love the show. Keep up the great work. And that's from Courtney from Oklahoma. Courtney, thank you. Again, like I said, Adam, you see Courtney, just like many of us, shares the same kind of passion we all do for Disney. But Courtney, the uh, the restaurant you're talking about is actually the T-Rex restaurant, and that's not going into Tusker House and Disney's Animal Kingdom. That's heading on down to downtown Disney, and I'll, and I'll repost some of those photos in the WDWRadio.com show notes for this week's page. Uh, as far as what's going to happen over in Tusker House, I think they're going to primarily keep the theming that's there. Uh, kind of, you know, similar to the Africa theme and marketplace. You may have some character influences brought in there, but I don't think you're going to see really very much change as, as as far as the actual design and the interior or exterior of the building. Our next email says, Hey Lou, my family and I just returned from a week at Walt Disney World. I had an experience I'd like to share with you because it may help others who find themselves or their family members ill at Walt Disney World. And she relates that she has a one one and a half year old son who has asthma. They were there uh, at Wilderness Lodge. They went over to the front desk where they had two pamphlets. One was for a doctor who will actually come to your resort and see uh, see you in your room. They called him first, but he felt that their son needed to be seen in an office. So the second pamphlet was from Centricare, which is an urgent care center. They have three centers located near Walt Disney World property. They also provide a free shuttle service that will pick you up at your hotel, and they accept all insurance plans. This family went to the Lake Buena Vista Central Care Center located on South Apopka Vineland Road. Took just about 15 minutes to get there from the lodge. While they were there, they actually saw two different doctors and she says that the staff and doctors were very friendly and professional. She also notes that Turner Drugs is located just next door to the center and you can get your prescriptions filled there. Turner, however, does not accept insurance. They will deliver your prescriptions to your resort or hotel, the front desk at the lodge, as well as other resorts on Disney property. Have forms that you can fill out. They will actually fax your prescription to Turner Drugs. Turner can then actually give you a quote on what it'll cost you, and then they can deliver it to your hotel. They charge only $5 for delivery. So again, this she says she just wanted to share her experiences in hopes that it can help somebody else. It is very scary being away from home with a sick child. She says Centricare and Turner Drugs made uh, get two thumbs up for her. She's got pamphlets with the information, and uh, you can, of course, get them at the, the front uh, desk at your hotel. That comes from Lori McDevitt. Lori, thank you very much. I agree. It is very scary being home, away from home, and getting sick, especially when you have young children. It's nice to know that you've had personal experience with both Disney as well as you know, their ability to help you at the front desk as well as Turner Drugs and Centricare. I'll put links up to both of these in the show notes page over at wdwradio.com for anybody who's looking for more information. Next email comes from Angel Ramos from Puerto Rico who says, Hi Lou, this is my first email since your new show began and let me tell you, I love it. The background music of the show is great. Uh, I like the voices behind the magic segment. So a shout out to Jonathan. He's doing great work. But the big cheese for me is the Disney scene investigation segment. I love to hear about Disney details that makes the experience much more magical when you know all the effort that they put on to make this for us all to enjoy. 
He goes on to say, I really, really enjoyed show number 12 on the Horizon segment. You and Jeff take me back in time and make me relive those days when my grandfather and her uncle took me to Walt Disney World. It brings tears of joy to my eyes. After the show, I actually called my grandpa and uncle to let them know how much I appreciated it when they took me to Walt Disney World. But I've got a question for you. My wife and I are going to attend MouseFest 2007 where we hope to meet you. But when my little daughter, who's eight, knows about the news, she told me, how can we go to Disney without her and her two brothers? Disney is a place for the family. We'll go anyway, but before I sit down with her and explain that mom and dad need some time alone, and of course that I promise that I will take her to Disney next summer, maybe even Disneyland. Even though she also said to me that she never imagined me going to Walt Disney World because she has kids. I know I'll survive, but I'd like to know your thoughts about that because I know you have kids too and you get some times to go to Disney without them. Keep up the great work. And again, that's from Angel in Puerto Rico. Angel is very simple. You just lie to your children. No, I'm kidding. Well, sort of. I'm lucky because my kids are very young. My daughter is not quite, she'll she'll be four in November. My son is just going to be two. Uh, And well, I guess exaggerating the truth is kind of how we we do it. We just, my wife just tells my daughter that, that daddy's going away on business to work, which technically is true. This is a research trip when I go down solo. Um, so, so I kind of have an excuse that way. But when I come home and she sees that I've brought uh, things back to her from Disney, she kind of is able to put two to, two and two together very quickly. I'm in trouble when she's a teenager. Um, so while I don't necessarily condone lying to your children, uh, exaggerating the truth might be your best bet. Um, or just explain to them, like you said, that you need to kind of go down and maybe scope the... Uh, you're going on a research trip to scope the place out, find the best hotels, and you'll take them back next time. But if I were you, I'd bring her back something special anyway. Our next email says, Lou, I listen to your radio show every week. It's fun and very informative. I have a couple of questions for you. How many acres is Walt Disney World? That includes everything. Also with MGM, are they ever going to do anything more with that park? There's so much you can they can do to make it more fun. Another roller coaster or something more for the adults? Thank you. And that comes from jo- Jonine Clark. Jonine, let me ask your first question first. How many acres is Walt Disney World? It's 47 square miles, which is about 30,000 acres. That's about the size of San Francisco, twice the size of the island of Manhattan. One thing you should note is that about only one quarter of the property has been developed, with another quarter designated as a wilderness preserve. So there's about another 15,000 acres that they can possibly build on in the future. As with MGM, speaking of building on, remember, think about it this way. MGM is, is really like Epcot. Um, in, in that it's really two parks. There's the front part of the park, which is this nostalgic Hollywood that, that never was in the front, much like Future World. And at, well, one time anyway, a working studio in the back, much like Future World. So it's almost like two little separate and distinct parks. But what I think you're going to start to see is you're going to see more definition between these two, especially if Lasser has his way. Maybe 2D comes back. Maybe the studios get to working again. I think you're going to find much more immersive, interactive experiences such as Toy Story Mania, which is coming next year. I think you're going to find more movie tie-ins to really keep with the theme of it being a movie studio and a real working studio. So uh, I think you're going to see a lot more. I think you're going to see more for both kids and adults, and you're going to see a lot more of expansion at the studios over the next few years. Next email says, Lou, this is Joe Tortorici here from Virginia Beach. I have a question regarding Animal Kingdom, hoping you might know the answer. If you're standing near the exit of the parking lot facing the Animal Kingdom Park, there's a tree that stands to the left of the Tree of Life. It's a very tall, skinny tree, and it appears to be somewhere in between the park and the lodge. I'm wondering if you can tell me what tree this is. Is it real or something else? Maybe a security tower disguised as a tree? We've seen it several times now and cannot figure out what it's for. 
Thank you for your time. Joe, thank you for your email. And if it's the quote-unquote tree that I'm thinking of, it's actually a cell phone tower, which is disguised to look somewhat like a real tree. We have them all over New Jersey. Just lovely, right? On the parkway and the turnpike, we have these cell towers disguised as trees. I'm going to put a picture up of a sample tree. I don't think I have one of this specific Animal Kingdom tree, but I'll put a sample up in the show notes page. Uh, This basically came out of necessity, really, because cast members for a long time used to use Motorola kind of walkie-talkie style radios. They're now on a Nextel-based cell phone system to communicate individually and on different kind of broadcast networks. So what they needed to do was basically install this this tall cell phone tower in a backstage area near uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom. Um, And the problem, obviously, with building a cell tower like that was that it was visible from everywhere in the park as well as the lodge. It totally ruined the theming and the show. So uh, there's a company called the Larson Company that specializes in kind of hiding these cell phone towers. They create all kinds of artificial landscape for hotels and things like that. And what they did is they create the structures from polymers such as urethane and polyethylene so they can withstand the high Florida winds um, but still not interrupt cell cell signals. And these basically add about $100,000 onto the cost of a price of a cell tower alone, um, which is obviously usually passed on to us, (laughs) the consumers. So uh, again, I'll try and put a picture up of that. If anybody has a picture of the specific Animal Kingdom cell tower and wants to share, just go ahead and send it to me at lou at wdwradio.com. Lou, wonderful podcast, just fantastic information. My wife and I are thinking of taking a trip to Walt Disney World in August or September of 2007 or 2008. You've mentioned several times that you feel that the Pop Century Resort is far above the other value resorts, but my wife is concerned about the noise levels. Can you comment on this and any other items of note regarding this resort? We're thinking of staying at Coronado Springs instead and basically wanted to know what kind of differences to expect. Thanks so much, Kit. Kit, as far as the noise issues with Pop Century, it's actually something that I've never had experience with. Now, if you're going, you know, say during, uh, you know, Pop Warner championships or cheerleading things, there's a lot of kids roaming around. Yes, the noise level there might be escalated, but I've never had any noise issues. Actually, the, the outside walls of the room are quite thick. But it really, it's the inside walls that you have to think about uh, because I, I usually stay trying to stay on the first floor. You can sometimes hear people flushing toilets above you. If you are concerned about noise levels, and again, I don't think it really is much of an issue at all, try and get a third floor room, maybe facing away from any of the pool or guest areas. It'll be much more quiet that way. Again, it's not something that I really had um, any experience with. I actually like Pop Century even more so than Coronado, although Coronado... Maybe for a couple, if you want to have, uh, you know, a nice sit-down restaurant, if you want to have a couple little nicer amenities, that may be a better choice. But if you're worried specifically for new, for new, for uh, noise levels, then I wouldn't be concerned at all. Chip Joyce from Peoria, Illinois, writes in and says, Hi, Lou, I just want to say I really enjoy your podcast. It's been very helpful in planning my upcoming trip, as it's been eight years since my last one. I was a senior in high school at the time. College and other things have gotten in the way of my long overdue return. To put that all in perspective, I happened to be there on the first day they had opened the Cali River Rapids. This time, instead of going with my family, I'm taking my girlfriend, who's 23, and hasn't been there since she was 7 years old. It'll be very exciting to rediscover the magic together. I agree. We'll be there from September 9th, I'm sorry, September 2nd through the 9th, 2007, and are taking advantage of the free dining offer... And yes, we've made all of our dining reservations and are staying at all-star movies where we stayed on my last trip when it wasn't even finished yet. As excited as we are about this trip, we're still upset that we'll miss riding the Haunted Mansion by just a few days. You are not alone, since it is scheduled to reopen the week after we are there. My question to you is, when Disney plans these extended refurbishment times with specific closing and reopening dates, 
What's the likelihood that the Haunted Mansion may be finished ahead of schedule? I would think that if by some chance they finish ahead of time, they wouldn't keep such a popular attraction closed any longer than they needed to. Is there any chance we may luck out and still end up being able to ride it? I've long accepted missing out on Spaceship Earth while we're there, but I just can't get over being so close to riding the Haunted Mansion and missing it. Thanks a lot. I enjoy listening again. Chip. Chip, uh, thank you very much. And you're right. Um, obviously, Disney is going to try their best to get these attractions back open and running. But even if they do have an expected opening date, oftentimes, depending on how extensive the refurbishment is, they may have uh, cast member previews, they may have pass holder previews, and they may have soft openings just to kind of test it. Now, those will be unannounced. You won't find it in your park guide maps. You probably won't even find it on the tip boards. But if you kind of go you know, back and forth to the attraction and check if there are cast members out there, either they may be opening the attraction for a couple of hours, like I said, just to test the ride system or some of the new upgrades. So you may get lucky. Um, and, and what I would do is when you get to the Magic Kingdom, I would talk to somebody either in front of the Haunted Mansion or at Guest Relations just to see if they know if the attraction may be open for a soft opening there. I know you and a lot of other people are disappointed not only about Spaceship Earth, but specifically about the Haunted Mansion. So good luck. I hope you guys have a great time and hope you get a chance to be one of the first to enjoy the new Haunted Mansion. I think we have time for one more email, and this comes from Rashida, who says, Hey, Lou, I just had to tell you that I absolutely love the show. I think it's one of the best Disney podcasts out there, and I wish that you were on twice a week. Thank you. I have a question that I'm not sure you've answered or not already, but have you ever had any thoughts of becoming a cast member at Walt Disney World? I was a fan first, then in spring of 06, I did the WDW college program, which was awesome. I was afraid it would ruin the magic, but working in Walt Disney World and visiting the parks every day for almost five and a half months only enhanced the magic for me. Knowing all the news before it came out and knowing the ins and outs of attractions, shows, and all the theme parks, it was just amazing. Not to mention how much cheaper it made vacations to Disney for me. I think that was the best part. But anyhow, would you ever become a cast member, even seasonally, if you could? Thanks for your time and awesome podcast, Rashida. Rashida, thank you and... uh, Congratulations on doing the college program. To partially answer your question, that is the one thing I regret doing, which is when I was in college, missing out on the opportunity to partake in the college program. I did have some friends. I went to Villanova that did do it. They were in entertainment. Uh, A couple of them were in attractions, and they just couldn't speak highly enough about the experience, about the company, about working down in Walt Disney World. And unfortunately, it's something I I can't kind of go back in time and do. Would I ever become a cast member? Absolutely. Um, I would love to work for the company maybe someday, uh, head on down there. People often ask me what my ideal job would be, and it definitely would be something where I could interact with the guests on a daily basis, uh, do things to kind of try and enhance guest experiences, whether it be a Dream Squad cast member or or maybe not even an attraction cast member, unless it was something that I could really have a lot of interaction with the guests. I think working maybe as a tour guide in the Magic Kingdom, I think that would maybe be right up my alley because it's something that I love doing as it is now with friends and family when I go down. Um, and again, it gives me a chance to really get up close and personal with guests and try and do things to make their experience even more special. So who knows, maybe someday um, when, I, when I get out of uh, sunny Scotch Plains, New Jersey and head on down, um, I, I could eventually end up working for the company. So thank you again for the question. Remember, if you have a question, a comment, or anything that you'd like to know, go ahead and send an email to lou at wdradio.com. If you have sent me an email and you haven't heard back from me via emails yet, I promise I will get to it on the show. I'm trying to get through these as fast as I can, keeping the rambling down to a minimum. So thank you again for your emails and comments, and please keep them coming.
Well, that's all the time we have this week on the WDW Radio Show. I want to thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you enjoyed the show. I also want to say thanks to my guests, Jeff Pepper, Mike Scopa, as well as Jonathan Dichter and Gary Chambers for this week's intro, as well as outro. Be sure you stay tuned for that. Of course, thanks to you, as always, for coming back and tuning in. Don't forget to visit the WDWRadio.com website for more information, show notes, links, photos, and more, as well as a link to our new merchandise shop. On the website, you'll also find a link to our friends at the Magic for Less Travel. There you can get a free, no-obligation quote for any Disney vacation. They offer outstanding service, which is completely free to you. They also check for discounts on your reservations on a daily basis. They have tons of great promotions going on right now. Remember that free dining is still available if you book by June 24th. You can combine that offer with their exclusive mini pack or luxury pixie dust packs. You can contact them with any questions or trip planning inquiries might have. Again, that's the Magic for Less Travel. On upcoming shows, we have more in the Epcot Retrospective Series, Seven Wonders of Walt Disney World, more interviews, a new contest, more trivia, lots more for your listener feedback to get to, and more. Don't forget that I'm still looking for your input on the next Seven Wonders of Walt Disney World, which I mentioned as being the cast members. You can share your stories by calling the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW or by sending an email to lou at wdwradio.com. Remember, you can also email me at either of those places with questions, comments, or suggestions. Also, be sure to come by the forums at DisneyWorldTribute.com to talk with other listeners and readers about the show. It's fun. It's free. I'd love to have you come by and be a member of what we consider to be the happiest forums on Earth. Like I said, we just passed the 20,000 member mark in just over three years, but we still remain a very close, warm, and very welcoming family. So come on over and check us out. Time is running out if you're interested in joining me and Margaret Tinkerbell Carey on a cruise aboard the Disney Magic from November 3rd through the 10th of later on this year. Staterooms are still available, but they are going fast. You still have a chance to win that $500 Disney gift card, access to special events, and so much more. Visit the WDWRadio.com website for more information and a free no-obligation quote. I'm also going to have some very special announcements to make over the next couple of weeks, so please be sure you stay tuned for that. If you are a new listener, welcome. Don't forget you can go back to the WDWRadio.com website, and you can find show notes as well as links to past episodes if you want to catch up on anything that you may have missed up until this point. I also want to thank you again for all your help by digging the show and voting for it on iTunes. It is very much appreciated and very, very helpful. Don't forget to please help spread the word to your friends and family and on other communities. Thank you for tuning in once again this week. Please make sure you stay tuned for some voicemails at the end of the show. Have a great week. See ya. I'm Waldo, the spirit of podcasting. Hey, boing, boing, boing. <laughs> Bouncing on people's heads. <laughs> hey, how do I get myself out of this silly podcast? I know. <laughs> They'll never recognize me now. <laughs> Forward. Hi, Lou. This is Simi Bell, and I'm calling you from Brick, New Jersey. Funny thing is, I used to live in Clearwater, Florida for 18 years, and while I was living there, I became a huge Disney trivia expert, and I thought uh, people around me thought I knew everything, and i got to tell you, since I've been listening to your radio show, thanks to my husband, Richard, who's an uber computer geek, um, you've really impressed me, and we look forward to your show every single week. What I wanted to do is tell you a couple of stories, and I may have to call back to tell you more because I have a zillion of them. Uh, first of all, I'm a huge Star Wars geek from from uh, childhood. I was 11 when the first movie came out, and my, my family will tell you there was no bigger Star Wars fan in New Jersey, especially being a girl, uh, than myself. <laughs> uh, of course, we 
would go to uh, the MGM Studios for Star Wars Weekends every year, and about five years ago, my niece actually became a cast member, and she played a stormtrooper, and she did the stormtrooper um, act at the entrance that you guys were talking about in your podcast last week. So a little trivia there for you, not all stormtroopers are men. A lot of them are women, skinny little women that fit into those great little costumes. Um, so that that was a real neat experience. And actually, I'm going to be in Disney World um, June, in June, June. I leave June 7th. I think June 12th is the day that I'm going to be actually be there because uh, I'm actually going down for business. But, of course, I have to visit my favorite spot, and I'll get to spend a couple days there. The other thing is we're talking about cast members. We had a cast member. His name is Jason. He's a server over at the Brown Derby, which is my favorite restaurant. I'm a food aficionado like yourself for Disney World. And he is the best server we've ever had. That man, he suggests a wine. It goes perfect with your meal. So if you ever find yourself at the Brown Derby, there are two Jasons. You want the one who's been there the longest. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember his last name at the time, but he's been there for quite a long time, and he is a fabulous server, and he'll make your meal ten times better. Um, the other thing, I just listened to this week's podcast, and you were talking about the Adventurers Club, and I had a really funny experience there uh, with the butler. As soon as you walk in, the butler was standing on top of the uh, upstairs, you know, looking down on the balcony, and he was just throwing pieces of paper down and letting them fly down and hitting people down below. And I, I looked at him and I said, you know, what What do you call that? And he says, I call it program tossing, madam. And I just found that hilarious. So I hope that they're not going to do away with that Adventures Club. That's one of my favorite things at Pleasure Island. One more exciting thing I want to say before I let you go. When I go down in June, I'm actually going, there's a Disney job fair going on that week, and I am going to apply for seasonal work, and I will keep you posted on what happens. There's a few things I can talk to you about that as well. Anyway, um, thank you so much for what you do. I know it takes a lot of time, and I know you hear it all the time, but the podcast is great. Uh, See ya. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, Lou, this is Eric Hollister uh, up in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hope you had a great trip down at Walt Disney World last week from the show. It sounds like you did. Uh, I actually just got back uh, yesterday, Sunday afternoon, and today is Memorial Day, so now it's back to reality, unfortunately. But I uh, just wanted to give you an update with regarding the Pirates event that uh, I had an opportunity to attend on Thursday night leading up to the movie. Um, I, w- <laughs> I actually wish there was uh, a lot more to tell you. Um, unfortunately, the event, although it was okay, it wasn't as well organized um, as it should have been, and I think as you know, we've all come to expect from Disney. Um, you know, there was uh, several games and uh, giveaways and things like that that led up to a dinner. Uh, unfortunately, uh, all the dinner requests that they had requested everybody to send in ahead of time uh, were lost prior to the event, so they had to do a potluck buffet at the last minute. But uh did have an opportunity to see the movie. Uh, obviously loved the movie. Um, I was kind of hoping it was going to beat Spider-Man, but from the looks of it, it does not look like it's going to beat it in the opening weekend, uh, but you never know with the long haul. So, uh, like I said, I wish there was a little bit more to tell you as far as the trip report went. 
but overall we had a blast at Walt Disney World. Uh, I had an opportunity to do several of the parks and all the key attractions and everything like that. And uh, I'm looking forward to speaking with you soon regarding the uh, the mile-by-mile challenge um, that I discussed with you over email. So whenever you get an opportunity, feel free to give me a call uh, on my cell phone, 352-348-9334, or you can also call me at home, which is 317-288-4052. Keep up the great shows, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey, Hey, we're going to be in July on July 7th. It's the 12th. This is Steven. I left you an email to address my girlfriend, Catherine. Hey. We are going to be in Florida. I just wanted to say, hey, love the show, love the podcast. You know, you give me so much information. It's like I'm already there. I know I'm going to be a kid once again. You know, when I get there, it's pretty much inevitable. Hang on. Just saying, hey. We'll keep you posted. We'll talk to you soon. We'll tell you how the, um... Tell you how the trip went, and hopefully you guys have fun at the match. We really wanted to go, but it was very sold out by the time we got chance to both the tickets. Anyway, later. Uh, Lou, hey, Ryan here down in Orlando. Uh, I just want to give you a few uh, things here. Uh, I just walked out of the World of Disney store. I don't know if you noticed this when you were down here, but uh, right here next to the Mickey fountain, the Mickey flower pot uh, fountain here at World of Disney, just across here there is a R2-D2... Uh, U.S. Postal Service mailbox. Um, kind of geeked out about that, I guess. Um, also, uh, just heard a rumor from a DVC friend of mine that they're trying to make a big push into uh, Canada pretty soon, uh, trying to make some more offerings up in there. Ski country. Uh, third, keep up the great work, man. The show just keeps getting better and better and better, show after show after show. Uh, so, yeah, just keep up that good work. Oh, also, another thing. Um uh, would love to hear a uh, segment on the show about celebration. Uh, I just got to reading a book called uh, Celebration Chronicles. Not, uh, can't remember what the author's name was, but uh, a great book. I don't know if you haven't read it or not, but uh, do check it out. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear a little segment on uh, celebration. So, uh, like I said, man, just keep up the good work. The show just keeps getting better and better. And uh, be around, man. Bye. Skull.